on the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Hello, and welcome to another rousing edition of the podcast known as White Sox Business, a podcast about the team that was the first team to have a legal bet placed on it in the state of Illinois. Thank you, Eddie Olchek. I am your host, Tom Fernelli, and joining me is a man who bets on nothing but himself. The Athletics White Sox reporter James Vegan. James, I'm sorry for intruding, but I simply have to know, are you within six feet of a member of the Chicago White Sox right now? Because if you are, I am compelled by law to notify the authorities. I sure as hell hope the White Sox don't have anybody staying in the comfort in off the freaking freeway. You you just told people where you are. Yeah, there's a lot of highways. All the J-maniacs, whatever the heck can they call your, what would, if you were a wrestler, what would your fans be called? I'm a ramming man. Uh, the Rams. Felons. <laughs> but now now all the people in Glendale and in the area know where your hotel is, and they're going to just swamp. Oh, wow. It's it's going to be chaos for you tomorrow. Way to go, dumbass. I mean, it's not like it would sound a lot different. Walls are made of paper here. So you, you, you said it's the comfort in? Who gives a shit? <laughs> So, yeah, so, uh, like, do you get to sleep in tomorrow now? No. 8.15. So you've got to be at at the at the complex even though you can't talk to anybody? I've already submitted multiple requests to who I want to talk to tomorrow, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I was supposed to talk to Giolito tomorrow for, like, our big feature. It was probably going to be, like, a half hour. He talks loud, so well, it'll probably be fine. Six feet, no problem. <laughs> you could just stand outside. The clubhouse, and he could yell his answers just to you. Bellows about his, you know, personal upbringing. What if you? I mean, you could just Lowest do like a text interview. Just interview him over text, like you guys, you know, just like dude, like like the kids his age are all communicating anyway. <laughs> kids his age, it's like twenty five. <laughs> yeah, so we're recording this after MLB. The NBA, the NHL, and the MLS all got together and said, let's keep the media out of the locker room because of the coronavirus. Mike, keep in mind, they're still letting all the players in the clubhouse, all the employees in the clubhouse. They're all sharing balls, bats, gloves, pucks. Why are they sharing let- bats? Well, I'm just saying, you know, everybody's touching bats. Yeah. And they're still going to let, they're still gonna let tens bats. of they're gonna still still gonna let tens of thousands of people enter buildings without checking them first. Tens of thousands. This is spring training, man. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the NBA. Yeah, the NHL. Yeah, MLS. It, it, it's, 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 a, about... it's a it's a it's like someone suggested to me. All right, is Daryl? So this was overkill, and I said it's you know it's either overkill or underkill because if it's like unnecessary, it's overkill, and like why are you? Um, focusing on the press first among all the other things but if it's like really like that serious where we need to like be social distancing and and limiting amount of the contact this is like <laughs> this is very much like a band-aid on a broken leg and you're focusing on this weird like small population while still having like these uh you know hundreds of encounters with like an uncontrolled uh, unmonitored population with the fans of all these people in close contact or food service workers and equipment people um going on unmolested so it, it's a strange why is this the first thing and uh, from talking to them it seems like they're very worried of like the thing that they were told to avoid was too many people in like a tight and closed space as that's where things like spread more than like an open air facility 
and that's what they're avoiding. That's why they're kind of avoiding the, uh, you know, 10 beat writers in the manager's office thing. It's not going to be a thing going forward, it seems like, uh, until this resolves. And they worry about the clubhouse getting too crowded, as it can be when a team like has like an actual huge crunch of beat reporters, like maybe the Cubs, less so the Sox in spring training, I would say. But that's the that's the sort of environment they're specifically trying to eliminate, rather than well, um, allegedly, instead of just immediately like, well, let's get the beat writers the fuck out of here. That First of all, um, that, that that's more the logic they're putting behind. You will be getting a new media member in the, in the short term. I don't know if you saw the news from Robert Feeder. I did. Yeah, so you've got a new person to hang out with and spread disease. In the hallway. Now, to be fair, <laughs> yeah, just you guys can hug really tight and just breathe in each other's faces. Ton of sex. Ton of success. Also, Adam Hogue, who is the new White Sox insider for NBC Sports Chicago, does host a podcast for The Athletic with Adam Johns about the Chicago Bears. So you should listen to that if you're not subscribed to that. Are there any but insiders be, anymore? Uh, no, everybody's an outsider now, like inside the stadium, but outside the locker room. To be fair, you and I, we have spent a lot of time around media members. I don't really want them within six feet of me either. <laughs> Most of them. No offense. <laughs> there was a there was a Copex scrum yesterday, uh, <laughs> and a, a media member was a little late getting into the day, and they squeezed they squeezed in right next to me, really tight, and like just a nose full of like cologne and aftershave, like instantly. <laughs> like I had I had a sense profile of everything this person had done uh, <laughs> to get themselves ready for the day. Uh, Why was Chuck late? (laughs) Uh, You guessed wrong. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Damn, 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 damn. Uh, Well, I guess we'll start today's show, besides, you know, the coronavirus, with Dylan Cease, who pitched earlier on Monday. And, you know, you wrote about him also on Monday before he went out there about how he'd been having such a good spring. And then, of course, he had his worst outing of the spring today. Right. So, I mean... How much responsibility do you take for his performance on Monday? I take all of it. And unfortunately, I won't be able to apologize to his face because uh, <laughs> that's over and done with. I mean, I, I, I'm i gutted. I, you know, everyone else, because I, I, I was in Chicago. I wasn't able to write about this good side of the time. So I was like catching up. And I had to interview him and McCann separately, one-on-one, which won't happen again. And uh, wrote it up in time for his next one. And then, you know, three walks and a hit batter in a single inning. Has it hit you that you might never see any of these guys again? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, moving <laughs> off life. I mean, it's like that you, it's it's important. I think it's an important reminder to, you know, tell those you love that you love them because you never know when they're going to be taken away from you. And Lucas Giolito might have been taken away from James forever. You're right. And because you saying that, you remind me I should do that right now with someone I love because – we don't know where our next moment is. Cam? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Buddy? Cam, I love you. Can, no, you don't. Can you play a drop for John where I say I love you? Not John, Tom. Uh. The one I love. Yeah, here you go. They got fairly dicked down. There we go. <laughs> If that's not full of love, I don't know what it's full of love and other things, but yeah. I don't know. I feel like getting fairly dicked down is more of a 
thing you reserve for people you just kind of like. I think if you're loving somebody, you're getting you're giving them more than the fairly. You're giving them the fully dick down. I'm a ramen man. More than, more than fairly dick down. <laughs> yeah. You're just, that's, I mean, you got to have something for him. Anyways. Well, now Dylan I know C's. what the title of the book about the 2020 World Series winning White Sox will be called. Fully dicked down. <laughs> more than fair. <laughs> Dylan sees on Monday three innings, four hits, three earned runs, three walks, three strikeouts. He was pitching well. He just kind of got, you know, lost it all in the third inning. Gave up he gave up the leadoff homer to what is it, Senzel? Yeah, but it was an O2 fastball, so that wasn't good. Yeah. I know two count. So it's like that was just kind of bad placement of the fastball. But up until Proved that point, I mean Yeah, like you wrote, he had been having a lot of success. Like locating his fastball, like the the thing you wrote about in, in your letters from camp was about how he was able to locate the fastball low and away in his first six innings of the spring, which was something that he had a lot of problems doing last year. In fact, I mean, he just had problems locating his fastball low and away, up and away, low and in, out and in. So it's it was a good sign. Is there any concern? Did he seem at all concerned after the game since this is the last time you were allowed to talk to him about it? Um. I will let you know the next time I see Dylan C's concerned, uh, but he did seem particularly not worried. Um, it's a spring start where he didn't have good command, so it's kind of it's something you shrug your shoulders about. But as far as building the idea that he's going to be this consistent new guy who has this command and doesn't have these lulls, it does kind of take the wind out of that idea pretty immediately. Rather than if he, you know, he. Dallas Keuchel getting knocked around, whatever. There's a long career. There's a very long track record commanding. Who cares? Dylan Cease are kind of looking for that evidence that he can make some adjustment that makes him consistently commanded because he's not somebody who really ever really got by on consistently commanding. So you're you're kind of looking for that kind of ability to string together three, four, five starts uh, where he does that. So this kind of you know you know reset the workplace accident counter back to zero. Because before he definitely went through out, uh, you know, outages of command of the miners, but he's got elite stuff and just kind of overpowered people. So he can't do that here. Obviously, we saw that last season. Um, hopefully, it's a relatively minor fix, but it, it was an outage, so that's not encouraging. But it also doesn't mean like let's give up on Dylan Cease ever being good or anything like that. I'm, I'm giving up. Okay, yeah, you know, that's Done. your choice. It's trash. Dylan Cease is trash. No, in all seriousness, so you, we did talk about it a little bit. I talked, brought it up. Like the fact that he was able to, you know, locate his fastball in the first six innings, low and away. That you wrote about it, and I'd like you to expand for the podcast on it. But like, you know, that kind of goes against the whole high fastball and then curveball to change the hitter's, you know, line of sight. That you know, we saw Lucas Giolito ride to success, and we saw Cease doing still a lot of on his own, trying to emulate that as well. But why is it so important for Dylan Cease to get that fastball low and away to righties? Um, it's just a fundamentally hard pitch to kind of cover and especially hit with an authority, especially with a kind of power-oriented pull-the-ball game of any hitter. So if you can do stuff in that location and be very consistent about it and stretch out the plate for what hitters have to worry about, that's positive even if you don't have the riding action or the same absolute like high plane visual illusion, but you can pair it with the slider, which kind of already breaks low and away and just sweeps a little bit more, has a bit more action, and kind of create a similar tunnel or, uh, to, that you kind of look at for fastball and curveball. And you don't want to just have one little trick that you do. You want to be able to have multiple. So having all these different quadrants of the zone only makes the high fastball and curveball more effective because you 
like Dane Vicieta was, literally every time anybody threw a strike on the outside corner, you have them looking out there, and then you can get them to jam themselves when you go back on the inner half of the plate. Uh, not to bring up bitter old memories, but that's the first thing I think of whenever a hitter does that to themselves. That is the second Diane Vicieto reference of my day. The first one was by me, but the second one now is from you. So there's been a lot of Diane Vicieto because Daryl, Daryl making his second mind. appearance in the podcast, called called your mean Mercedes tank earlier on Twitter, and I was like, no, nuh-uh. Well, I'd, I mean, he's definitely built that way, but I wonder if he was responding to when we were in the clubhouse the day before and like some play like we were interviewing Lopez and just like some players were chatting to each other and they're like, did your mean just hit another tank? Jesus. And I don't know if he just conflated tank with your mean because of that, but it was, it was funny. There's, there's already been a tank. <laughs> it didn't go well. It didn't go well. So we don't need to, we don't need to bestow that on anybody. We, you know, it's, it's 2020 tanks are obsolete. Your, your mean is an armored way. cruiser. That's right. <laughs> He's a Humvee. Yes. He's a home V. But so, yeah, so Cease, bad day. I'm not all that worried about it. And I do think that it's, I think there's a lot of attention based to it because simply because if Cease is to have like a step forward or just not, not Giolito-esque because I think that what Giolito was able to do last year was amazing. But if if, we, if you start expecting guys to have those kind of turnarounds and your expectations are incredibly unrealistic, but I think if C's can take a step forward, that's going to have a huge impact on how well this team can be in play in 2020. Absolutely. It's one of the big like areas where they could jump and outperform their expect their projections of C's being good, or even just a little bit above average. And, you know, to his defense on that concept about the Giolito turnaround, he was not as bad as Giolito was in 2018 so he no. doesn't need to have as big of a turnaround no but even if the turnaround isn't as big he doesn't need to be an al cy young contender either he just needs to be a solid above average you know middle rotation starter maybe number two right but he doesn't I, need to teach himself how to throw hard again like giolito did no okay well speaking of teaching things and changes you talked possibly for the last time to frank minichino on monday about no Marmazar and Andrew Vaughn. And I mean, I, heard, I saw you tweeting about transcribing it earlier. So transcribe it here for our podcast listeners. What did you talk to the White Sox hitting coach about? Well, I can still have those interviews. I just have to do them outside now. And because I have to request it the same way, the way I requested uh, um, Menachino. But like the, the whole thing with Nomar is they repeatedly said that we can untap his upside, that we can fix him, that we can do this, that, and the, the third. And um, Manikito was all about kind of trying to alter his load mechanisms to help him make decisions sooner or earlier or better. Um, you know, the whole thing with him being lefties is obviously you get lefties get lefty on lefty, you get a shorter look at the ball. So guys, some guys who don't have the really the swing set up to respond to that well, they wind up getting taxed by that. And so what Manikino felt that Nomar's uh, load with his legs was very like jumpy and aggressive and like stiff and like he just kind of lurch out very quickly uh, and hard and stiff with his front leg and he'd be kind of stuck and then he'd have to kind of make adjustments with his hands um one it would be less consistent and also it would be uh he, he got himself frequently in the position where his hands were already moving forward along with his legs and he'd have to make kind of adjustments on swing or swing playing uh, mid-flight with the ball. And that's very hard to do with any kind of sort of proficiency. So he was talking about everything is just focusing on kind of softer actions with his legs, starting a little bit um, 
sooner. He said soft instead of getting getting back and going hard and trying to impact his ball's body. Just we wanted to just slow him down a bit, get him a little bit earlier and softer, allow him to see the ball, allow the, him to control the depth. Um, he said that he felt like he's getting a getting allowing the ball to travel a little bit more deep on him and not kind of freaking out about trying to pull everything. And that's allowing him to make a little bit better decisions. And, you know, he looked pretty good today. He said there was a kind of an adjustment with his foot setup that kind of keyed all this. And, you know, Nomar himself said that the whole goal was that he wanted his hands to be moving less and more kind of still in his setup um, than they were before. Um, I could really have to probably look at it in a video to really see what the, the physical difference is and how it kind of appears. Because uh, spring training uh, is mostly crap for kind of like me seeing what's you going on say. the field. Uh, as far as that, because we don't really have like the instant replay up in the uh, the press box, which is all I'll be relying upon. So talking to players going forward, but it it, it seemed like there's a lot of trying to make him more fluid and, and less stabby, and then, you know it, it kind of reminded me a little bit what happened to Avi Garcia back in 2017 was that he used to kind of really lurch ahead really aggressively, and that would jerk his head along with it. As a result, it's changing kind of his sight line with the ball. Um, this very like violent action and all of a sudden he's not able to kind of respond and make uh, decisions, uh, you know, in recognizing fastball, curveball and, and whether he's going to swing at it in the same kind of fluid ma- manner and reducing that was really what they felt keyed his big breakout season. But, you know, that still he hurt his knee and they dumped him. But, you know, live and learn. Yeah, because I mean, like even the streams for like on WhiteSox.com are not, you know, in 4K Ultra HD. So it's like. I, I don't I never saw it's not like I've watched enough Nomar Mazar to notice any changes that he's made anyway. But it's yeah, it's it'd be nice if whatever they do notice or think they can change to get better results. It'd be nice if it works, because it's important to remember that the White Sox did pay the ultimate price to get Nomar here. So I'm going to be judging him harshly. <laughs> I like I didn't know what you're talking about for like a second there that I remember the ultimate they, price. They took, they took our steal from us. His, his Instagram this, is still there. It's for this Domar Mazzara guy. Who, who the hell is he? Some big, tall lefty who hits balls 700 feet. I mean, Steele will still post like a picture of his haircut and then like a Bible verse underneath it. I had to unfollow him on Instagram. It hurt too much. Like he kept posting like all he kept doing these stories like with Ranger stuff. And I was like, man, no, I can't. It's like. It's like if you break up with somebody and then you watch them, you know, you you still like follow their stories while they're dating their new boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. It's why why put yourself through that pain? Uh for fun? You really are Catholic. For, for podcast material? <laughs> uh well okay, you also talked to him about Andrew Vaughn who is not nearly as tall and is not lefty, but hits the crap out of the ball a lot what did what do you guys talk about with vaughn well i tried to ask what makes him good and he just said he's very disciplined about the, the general approach of like he's very willing to take the fastball away repeatedly so that he can make decisions on time and let the balls get deep um so he can make decisions on breaking balls and not be out in front of those so if you're going to be hitting a lot of fastballs middle and opposite field you obviously have to be really strong to make any kind of dent with that, doing that from a power perspective. You're not going to hit a lot. Like, if Tim Anderson was policy was that uh, kind of exclusively, it would really limit how much uh, you know home runs he could hit. Not that Tim has bad pop. you think that's what Madrigal does? Um, I mean, Madrigal is kind of a whole different animal. But 
in the, both in the tackle because the swing plane is so level and obviously the frame isn't very big. But um, yeah, I think that's a that's definitely a degree to what he does is that he's um, he's spraying every fastball away. But for Vaughn specifically, he was talking about how steady his load is and how it's like we writing that story about Paul Canerco a couple of months ago about how he made all these like adjust, crazy adjustments mid like at bat and would change his stance and go from stride to no stride just all about how he's feeling don't compare Andrew Vaughn to Paul Canerco because he is like the exact opposite he is doing the same leg stride every single time he is like not speeding up or rea- being reactive when a guy has high velocity he's not uh, or when he's spamming with breaking balls he's very consistent and allows him to kind of make clear decisions and not be leaning any one way because he's very much on the same time plane at every single time. And his, his stride allows him to kind of adjust his decision based off what he's seen. And that's why he has such an opposite field approach on velocity because he's allowing to get deep so much so he can make a right decision. Um, but we talked about um, fouling balls off and I talked to Andrew Vaughn about that a little bit as well. And obviously you never intentionally um, foul balls off, but it's kind of, Having this discipline, hey, well, you if you're on two strikes and you're just you know you're hacking, on two strikes, you're on the see? idea of um, making contact with everything that you think is close, but and you have to accept that there's an extreme possibility that swinging a ball in this way um, will result in a foul and being willing to accept that, but you're not like just taking a cut for the sheer purpose of like hitting this ball weakly or aiming for like you know foul territory. You're uh, allowing yourself to get beat with a fastball with the uh, idea that you can still make contact uh, so that you don't get yourself out in front or don't get yourself in a position where you're more susceptible to being fooled by a breaking ball. Giving yourself more time to kind of react to that with accepting that it could result in, you know, falling off a fastball. Um, The the phrase the Manichino kind of went back towards is that great hitters get jammed all the time because they're willing to allow themselves um, to get jammed for the sake of not surrendering – and allowing themselves to get out front and roll over stuff because they're being too aggressive and, and, and allowing themselves to kind of misread uh, off-speed pitches. I, I like that you go to like one hitting lab and now all of a sudden you're telling me that I can't foul a ball off on purpose. You can. It's just probably not sustainable or great or leads to like very consistent habits. It might take you out of your approach a little bit. Eh, I, I guarantee you, there have been plenty of guys who do it. When they, I'm sure there are, but they the, don't the, like a pitch. That doesn't seem how Vaughn does it. He he said that you're never swinging to to follow the ball off. Well, I can find the quote somewhere. No, I don't think he is. I think he's just you know spoiling pitches that he doesn't like. All right, well, Andrew Vaughn is going to be amazing. Nomar Mazzara is being fixed. Andrew Vaughn couldn't walk off the, the Reds today uh, after Yarmin hit a game tying two out homer. Yeah, I know he's a failure. He just but hit a rocket. You know, you mentioned we, we mentioned Nick Madrigal, and this brings me back because you did write about Dylan Cease being great, and then he had his worst start of the spring. And the last week, you've been arguing how Nick Madrigal is still going to be good, and today he's taking ground balls to the face. So again. How much responsibility do you take for Nick Madrigal taking a ground ball to the face? Uh, a lot. And if I could go and see the bruise he has on his face and apologize for it, I would, but I can't. So uh, I heard a birdie told me, Zach? a little birdie told me that Bird he has Nick. a bruise above his left eyebrow, but no concussion signs. 
the White Sox told me that. So I mean, I, I yeah, and then I will not. I will not roughly stake my nine White career. Sox writers told me that I will not stake my professional <laughs> career time. on the idea that he's not having a concussion because I have not examined him with my own hands, nor am I allowed to. I just, I just, that was a fun moment on Twitter when everybody tweeted that same thing at the same time. Just <laughs> acknowledge like, oh. that I was first. We got a bunch of doctors here. Ooh, everybody's diagnosing concussions from the press box. That's why they don't want you in the clubhouse. I, I am super careful about that shit. I said Nick Madrigal has a bruise above his left eyebrow, but no signs of concussion. About this. Per the James, we know, we know you didn't. We know that you're not diagnosing Nick Madrigal as concussion free. But it's I would okay. never fucking write that. I would never say he doesn't have a concussion <laughs> just because the team said it. I would say that they said that. <laughs> Just, okay, okay, it's buddy. been a rough day, Calm Tom. Down. My little Jimmy Pop. <laughs> I need to be comforted. Thank you for recognizing. It's, it's, it's going to be okay, sweetie. It's going to be okay. All right. Well, maybe we could brighten up your day with a with a new segment. Uh, not by the looks of the rundown. Tom Fornelli, I repeat, Tom Fornelli, please come off the ledge. Tom Fornelli, we can talk this through. Don't do it, Tom. Hey, is he going to do it, boss? No, he's too big of a puss. <laughs> is this pre-recorded? <laughs> yes, it's the debut of a new segment called James Talks Tom Off the Ledge. When did you record that? <laughs> uh, you'll have to ask the genius producer that you love so much because I didn't do any of that. Um, I'm a ramen man. I decline. <laughs> You see, I, I wrote the rundown for this show hours ago, and Cam actually reads it before the show. <laughs> anyway, I, mean, I read it kind of like we, before the show. Yeah, we had well because you were busy recording another podcast, also oh. for the Athletic. Check it out. Which podcast? Give it a plug. I don't know the name of it. The fantasy podcast. The one that's Michael Beller. <laughs> oh, you're a good company man. What were you talking about on that podcast? Magical. <laughs> <laughs> About how he's gonna slug two twenty five on the season, or I don't think that's exactly what I said. All right, well, like kind of like we got in the discussion about Nick Magical last week, and my growing concern. It looks like it's called the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Now, here's here's a concern I'm gonna pose to you based off of what I've seen so far this spring. Okay, you ready? Okay. Edwin Encarnacion is 2020's Yonder Alonso. He's he's what 37? Yes. He has had 16 plate appearances so far. He is 0 for 15 with eight strikeouts and one walk. So he's got a strikeout rate of 50%, and he's slashing zero slash point zero six three slash zero. Tell me that Edwin's going to be just fine. I don't know, but like Edwin's not an eye test guy. Edwin is, you know, he hasn't had a below average offensive season since 2009. That's the reason you're buying into Edwin. It's not really anything he would do in spring training. It's the track record. I mean, he's very advanced in age. He's definitely one of the thicker looking guys uh, in camp because he's not going to be playing a lot of defense. He's. You know, kind of got that older, filled-out build. He's not going to do something in spring that's really going to impress us. And I think you kind of have to be willing to... I mean, he had dealt with the sore backs. So that could be him being a little behind in rhythm. But 
he he's the ultimate guy you just kind of have to trust because the production is certainly there to to call upon that trust and i don't really think if if i don't think spring training is going to mean something much for the guy who's been in the league since 05 and is 37 years old like he's either going to be ready or he's not because that's the thing it's like i i know he's got the long track record but it's going to end at some point. Yeah, he and, totally could be toast, but like, I'm yeah. going to be an idiot calling it from spring training results. <laughs> I will say this. I did do a little, you know, my own research because uh, God knows I can't trust you to call me. But I did do some research. And for what it's worth in his career, Edwin has been far and away the worst in April, March and April at there, any other month. There you go. Career. Not his time. Like, yeah, in, in, in March and April, he's a career 236. 322, 430 hitter. So clearly he Should needs some time to get going. to the but, DH spot from last season. Yeah, he would have been the third best hitter on the team last year. <laughs> but seriously, so I mean, that that did help me get a little bit back. But I'm just saying, it's like, man, I would I would just like to see him connect on one at some point in the next few weeks. And plus, he's getting like so – and again, he's 37. It's like, but he's getting like two days off for every game that he does play, it seems like. But I think – that the way he's hitting, he's only played six games. I mean, that's half as many games as Delmonico. That's, you know, almost half as many as Nick at this point, whose uh, who's, uh, sample size is up to 31 played appearances now, by the way, James. Yeah. So can we he's start? got battle scars to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> 31 played appearances and one bruise over his left eyebrow, but no signs of a concussion. So, yeah, so... Y- you're telling me I don't have to worry about Edwin. You might. I just don't. I don't. I don't feel like we're gonna get a lot of information that's like really rock solid. I mean, we're we're yeah. barely figuring out if anything we see from Dylan Cease, like forgetting to throw strikes for an inning, means anything. And you wanna you want me to glean something from Edwin Encarnacion having 16 at bats? All right. So you heard it here first from James Fegan. Edwin is gonna OPS 920 and he is concussion free. Here's what I'll tell you about Edwin. He ain't going to play center field this year. I concluded that from watching him. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's time for shout outs. I'm going to guess James doesn't even have one ready, but <laughs> we're going to do it anyway. I mentioned on the uh, on the Yomakata emergency pod how I just got a haircut that day as a joke. And I, you know, I should shout out my barber, Yvonne from Father and Son Barbershop. She's my new barber. I've only had her, I think I've had her three times now because the barber that I'd been going to at that same barbershop for years has moved to Arizona. And that's, that's kind of a weird relationship where when you have to find that new barber, when you've been going to the same one for this, you know, so long. And then it's like, you don't know, it's like they don't know you and you don't really know them. So, and I left it up to fate because if anybody's ever been to the father and son barbershop on Broadway in Edgewater, they have like the board where you sign in. And, you know, you can name who you want to cut your hair or you just don't put a name down and then you leave it up to random chance who cuts your hair. And that's what I did the first time after my uh, ri- my original barber, RJ, left. And I got Yvonne. She did a fantastic job. She's done a fantastic job three times now. So shout out to her for making me look good for like 24 to 36 hours. Did you, Is your new barber the one who cut Dylan Cease's hair today? Because not obviously didn't help. <laughs> I, I don't think she's in Arizona right now. No. Oh, you mean my old barber? Yeah. I don't know. Is is his name RJ? He's really buff. He's like a freak athlete for a guy who's five four. I don't think so. I can ask. Like literally, well, maybe I can. My, 
My old barber RJ is like five 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 six and can touch rim. So my <laughs> it's, it's college roommate was named RJ and was super jacked, but I'm pretty sure he's a boring laurier living in uh, northern suburbs now. I hope he listens. So James, who's Definitely your does. shout out for? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna shout out to Mohammed Salah and whatever Mane's like first name is because we were cooking Sadio last Mane. night on FIFA, baby. <laughs> So like, are you are you gonna be like a Liverpool fan now? Uh, if I could just, I mean, if I keep playing with them, probably. Because <laughs> that's kind of shitty. That's like that's like that's the fan version of Kevin Durant joining the Warriors after they already won a title. <laughs> well, like I'm a casual person. I'm trying to like figure out what's interesting to me, and like these fucking guys like booting crosses out of middle air on video games is fun as hell, baby. That Australian national team had no fucking chance. <laughs> Can't believe you would just do this to be like hours after Aston Villa's four nothing loss. I, you know, I, I didn't even know. I was focused on my own problems. I have such a hard day at work of not talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't I chill out. I can't go home and deal with the struggles and the tribulations of Aston Villa. I just want to relax and watch some extremely well-paid soccer players mercilessly destroy some less-paid soccer players. Here's here's something to think about. Like I know that publicly, we media members we have to be like this. You know, we have to complain about this. But there's a part of all of us that's kind of happy with it right <laughs> like you know what i mean it's like well, oh, I, I can't they don't want me in there so i guess i'm just gonna have to have some free time today <laughs> i mean i still gotta work i still gotta like do stuff i gotta try but, yeah, but we go back to old school blogging man but they wanted me to do like this player poll where i have to like interview every player on the team and ask them like silly questions and like I gotta would have to like frickin' like coordinate some like I'd have to get like Jose Abreu and coordinate it with Billy <laughs> and like I'd probably have to coordinate with Billy like six or seven other guys who use an interpreter to then ask him like who's the best dressed guy on the team and shit. I didn't want to do that shit. No, I could have a totally great reason for why I'm not gonna do it on time. There we go. So See? yeah, this, it's not you know, all bad. Thank God for small miracles, sure, Tom. <laughs> I have helped you end your day on a high note. You're welcome. You talked me off the ledge, and now here I am returning the favor for you. I'll I'll be I'll be focusing on not doing the player poll when like literally the entire country gets this and there's a three percent mortality rate, and I feel terrible about ever being light about it. To any degree, it's like, oh at least I didn't do the player poll. <laughs> I will bring it up to you just in case you forget. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's a good place to wrap it up. James wishing death upon people so he doesn't have to do his job. Uh, thank you for listening to White Sox Business. Uh, make sure that if you haven't subscribed yet, go to theathletic.com slash Southside and you'll save 40% off a year-long subscription. We'll get more amazing content like this and articles written by men who are no longer or, and women who are no longer allowed to talk to the athletes they cover. So that's cool. Uh, we'll see you later this week. Maybe we'll have talked to people by then. Maybe we won't. Maybe it'll just be James and I talking to each other and nobody else for the rest of the time. Who knows? Find out. We'll see you next week. In the, in the land of the no media access, the blogger is king. Okay.